This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Hello, party people. So I sat in my closet for about five minutes looking at Pinterest. Why is it the place where time goes to die? And why do they send you emails about things you might like? Because that's distracting when you're trying to, you know, do a podcast. All right, so welcome to True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Jana. It's me, Beach, doing the thing. I'm in a weird mood today, so let's let's just kind of do it. All right, let's just get let's get right into it. Um, so I was watching uh, Autopsy, Confessions of a Medical Examiner. It's on HBO. I don't know where else they stream it, but. I'm the basic bitch that bought HBO Go so I could watch uh, Game of Thrones, and now that it's over, I was like, I'm gonna watch every show that I want to watch and then cancel it. Well, that hasn't happened yet because I haven't watched everything I want to watch yet, and also I'm pretty sure Sex and the City's still on there, and I'm I'm gonna watch all of it, is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was watching Autopsy, Confessions of a Medical Examiner, and I stumbled across this one. Um, sorry I'm on, like, a lady killer kick, as in, like, the lady is the killer, but, um, ironically, tomorrow is the killer's birthday, and she'll be 77 years old. So that's kind of a fun fact, and another reason why I picked it, just because, like, happy birthday, you suck. Also, at the beginning of this, I will apologize for two things in advance. One, I have so many bug bites, so I might be scratching, and I'm sorry about it already in advance. I really cannot help myself. They, I have tried everything I can to put on these things to get them to stop itching, but I'm literally losing my mind. And secondly, um, there's a lot of dates in here. It's, uh, I mean, there's a lot that's about to go on, so there's just, it's going to be a lot of rattling off dates, and there's really no way to avoid it, so... Um, I'm going to try to explain the best I can. Um, I usually don't like to be very date heavy, but these dates are important to the timeline of things. And there are so many things that happen that, you know, it just, it's kind of the nature of the beast and how it's going to have to be. So get ready for that because it's kind of hard to follow. You might want to get your pen and paper, get it out now, scribble this down, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole spiel of it. So. Mary Beth Tinning, that's her married name. Um, she was born Mary Beth Rowe on September 11th, 1942. She was born in Dwaynesburg, New York, um, which I did look up for you guys. It's just south of the Adirondack Park, but not really close to any other major cities in the New York State. So it's kind of very rural, kind of on its own. Yeah, you know, you get that. Um, so her father was deployed overseas during World War II, so, which was ironically shortly after her birth or, like, during her toddler years, because she was born in 1942. So, it was really kind of, like, she was born in World War II. Well, the United States got involved in World War II, and this is when she was a kid. And her mom was working full-time at that time to obviously make ends meet with her um, with her husband away at war. Um, she had a job. So, because of that, Mary Beth spent a lot of her time with other family members while she was growing up. And apparently during one of these stays, a relative told her that um, Mary Beth had been a, quote, unwanted accident. So, she should have just gone to therapy. 
probably would have solved a lot of these problems. So, um, Mary Beth had a little brother. I don't know when he was born. Um, so just disclaimer on that. I just know they were about the same age because I think they were in high school at the same time. So he could be anywhere from one to four years younger than her. Um, apparently Mary Beth was constantly jealous of him and she even told him on one occasion, quote, you're the one they wanted, not me. So this, obviously this thing she was told when she was a kid really, really messed with her head and she felt that way uh, later in life as well. So she and her brother both attended Dwaynesburg High School and were average, a notable students. She graduated in 1961 and her father was an operator for General Electric, one of the major employers in the area that she grew up. The vibe I get from this is that like GE was the, the major employer and if you lived in Dwaynesburg, you worked or you had a family member that worked at GE. Like Marysville, Ohio is the, the same way. It used to be if you worked at the Honda plant in Marysville, like, you lived in Marysville. That was, like, exclusive to the employees and their families that lived there. So I, that's why I kind of get the same vibe. Um, so after she graduated, she worked odd, low-paying skill, or low-paying, low-skilled jobs, never managing to go to college, although she had wanted to. She became a nursing assistant at the Ellis Hospital in, and I'm sorry in advance, Shenectady, uh, Shenectady. Schenectady, New York. I am going to fuck that up every time I say it. I'm sorry in advance. It's spelled very strangely. Coming from someone who lives in Cuyahoga County, like, listen, I, I'm good at saying Ohio names, but other states I kind of fumble. Give me, well, no, I can't say Tuscarawas. That, well, I just did, but it's, it's spelled very different, you know. Tuscarawas County, Ohio is a thing because when you're, you know, when you're in school and like you're waiting because back in the day you had to get up and watch the news and see like the school closings go along the bottom of the screen. And like, so I was born in Ashtabula, Ohio. And so A's are like up <laughs> at the very beginning of the alphabet. And Tuscarawas must be huge because whenever the school closings happened, like there'd be like 30, 30 closings in Tuscarawas and they were always closed. And you'd have to sit through all of those school closings to get to back to the A's, which was really annoying. You know, you dig? People probably don't remember that being a thing. Or they didn't live out in the middle of BFE where you had to... But this was before cell phones, so you didn't get a phone call when school was closed. You had to sit there like a little butthole, like, watching the news. Yeah, that's a little glimpse into my childhood for you, so have that. Um, Schenectady. That's how I'm going to say it. So if I'm wrong, tell me. Um, which, Schenectady was really close to Dwaynesburg. I read that in an article. I didn't look it up. So <laughs> I trusted I trusted that article that they wouldn't lie about how close those towns are together. But I could be wrong. Also, two years after she graduated high school in 1963, she went on a blind date with a man named Joseph Tinning. Two years later, they were married. I don't know the exact date of their marriage, but it was 1965. So the couple's first child, Barbara, was born on May 31st, 1967. And then on January 10th, 1970, um, the second child was born and his name was Joseph Jr. This is going to get a little hard to follow, so I'm going to try my best to, like, keep this straight, okay? So, in October 1971, Mary Beth's father died unexpectedly from a heart attack. I guess, from what I read, Mary Beth took it really hard, so 
I'm assuming that was difficult for her. Um, the day after Christmas that same year, Jennifer, the couple's third child, is born. So, the day after Christmas, they've got three children, Barbara, Joseph Jr., and now Jennifer, the youngest. Um, eight days after Jennifer was born, on January 3rd, she had died. Um, she had a hemorrhage, hem, mm, oh, hemorrhagic meningitis and had multiple brain abscesses from birth. So I had to look this up to see how you get that type of meningitis. I'm not going to try to say the word again because I apparently can't. Um, so neonatal meningitis, so meningitis you get like as a baby or like from birth is a, um, caused by either a virus or a bacterial infection. So viruses that can cause meningitis in a newborn include the Coxsackie and herpes simplex viruses. Um, it can also be the result of group B streptococcus E. coli listeria or haemophilus influenzae type B, also known as HIV. Um, so bacterial neonatal meningitis can be contracted through the placenta before dearth, dearth, before birth or during passage through the birth canal. Bacterial meningitis in a newborn is sometimes associated with sepsis, a bacterial infection that, of the blood that spreads through mouth, throughout to many organs. Um, so the hemorrhagic, I would assume means her brain was bleeding when she was born. I got all of that information from... Let me tell you. Oh, healthfully.com. It was an article called A Newborn with Meningitis. I just wanted to credit it because I did, I did read that word for word from the website, but I couldn't think of a better way to like summarize that. So thank you, healthfully.com, for telling me about neonatal meningitis. Um, so, okay. It's July 3rd. The baby dies. Really heartbreaking, really sad. Um... You know, so on January 20th, 1972, only 13 days, so here we go, 13 days after the Tinnings lost their daughter, Jennifer, they were back at the hospital with Joe Jr. He had died from cardiopulmonary arrest, um, which is the sudden, sudden halting of heart function, breathing, and consciousness. I think I got that off Wikipedia. Um, he was only two years old. He had also been taken to the Ellis Hospital, the one in Schenectady. <laughs> where Mary Beth was working. Um, I don't know if that's suspicious or not, but it's kind of a weird fact. So within 13 days of this baby being born, they lost Jennifer and Joe Jr. within two weeks. A little fishy, kind of heartbreaking mostly though. Um, that just seems kind of sad, not so much suspicious at this point. Um, on March 1st, 1972, Mary Beth rushes her firstborn, Barbara, to the hospital, saying that the girl had had convulsions. After being taken to the hospital, Barbara was comatose for many hours, but then died the next day. Her death was attributed to Ray syndrome, which um, is, quote, rapidly progressive encephalopathy. I promise, I promise I'm smart. <laughs> and I promise I know how to read. Sometimes I get marble mouthed. Um, so it was a disease of the brain. Um, it can be caused by issues with the liver. Um, so like a viral infection, the flu or chickenpox. But the most common reason this race syndrome happens as kids is because of taking too much aspirin. Um, so at that time, Barbara was only two months away from turning five years old. So the important takeaway here is that in the course of three months, 
the Tinnings had lost all three of their children in, like, some awful, tragic fate of, like, getting sick. So, Barbara had died at the beginning of March, and by July, Mary Beth had contacted the Schenectady uh, Department of Social Services, expressing her interest in being a foster parent. So, um, by fall, so July, so, so the summer went past her, you know, her, um, I guess, uh, application went through, and by fall, she had a little boy named Robert as her foster, but for some reason, she had um, returned him by January of 1973. They did not say whether it was behavioral issues or if he got adopted. I'm not sure. I just know that he he was there from fall till the beginning of January. Um, so shortly after Robert left, Mary Beth was given another child named Linda, um, but then Linda, I don't know when she comes into the family, and I don't know when she leaves, but um, Linda is returned when Mary Beth discovers that she's pregnant again. So, on November 21st, 1973, which was Thanksgiving Day, Mary Beth gave birth to a son named Timothy. So, end of November. On December 10th, Timothy is brought to the emergency room, but he's already dead. He believed he, or it's believed it's he um, passed away from SIDS, or Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, which there isn't a whole lot known about that. Um, Mary Beth said she had found him lifeless in his crib. The baby had only been 19 days old. In 1974, um, Joseph, the husband, um, went to the hospital after being given a non-fatal dose of barbiturates. Um, Mary Beth had had told police she took the pills from a friend who had an epileptic daughter and crushed them up and put them in Joseph's grape juice. Um, the couple had agreed that their relationship was going through some turmoil. Obviously, they just had four children pass away really unexpectedly, really quickly. Um, they had argued about money, and she had admitted to stealing money from her sister, but she had agreed to see a psychiatrist. So, Joseph didn't press any charges against his wife, um, under the premise that Mary Beth was going to get psychological help. She checked herself into a mental health facility and then left the facility without um, telling anybody in her family she did. So she left voluntarily and must have stayed somewhere until her time was supposed to be up or she lied and told them she got released. I'm not entirely sure. Um, So she left the institution voluntarily without any of her family even knowing she did. In 1975, um, Mary Beth finds out she's pregnant again, and at this time, she reportedly tells a coworker, quote, God told me to kill this one, too. I, I don't know why that coworker at any, didn't, like, report that to somebody that, you know, you'll, we'll get into more things that you're like, why well, did nobody kind of catch on what was going on because this does seem like super suspicious already that she had four kids die really unexpectedly and really suddenly from really weird kind of untraceable illnesses right or am I just am I just cynical and don't understand that like bad things happen to people no I understand that's I believe things happen to people look at my own life um yeah you know you can understand (laughs) Like, okay, what I'm trying to say, that sounded really awful. What I'm trying to say is that it's not like all her kids passed away in some horrific, awful accident. That would be tragic. That would be, I mean, what is happening is tragic as well. But, like, that would be something where you'd be like, oh, you know, just, you would feel bad for that person no matter what. But if there was this lady in my town, and you live in a super small town, and she's already had four kids, and they've all died, like, really 
not you know, unexpectedly. Just, you had one, they died. 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 Wouldn't you be like, huh, isn't that kind of strange that, you know, (laughs) or am I just crazy? Because I'd be like, well, I think something fishy's going on with this woman and her children that keep passing away, right? Okay. Especially if she tells her coworker that, but whatever. On March 30th, 1975, Nathan, Mary Beth's fifth child, is born and on September 2nd, 1975, Mary Beth is in a car with Nathan, and at some point during that journey, Nathan dies. On, October, or on August 3rd, 1978, a little boy named Michael is adopted into the family. Um, he's technically child number six. On October 29th, the seventh tinning child is born. Her name is Mary Frances. This is going to get... So, okay. They have Michael. He's the sixth child. I don't know how old he is off the top of my head. I don't think I wrote it down anywhere, but he's like a kid, not like an infant. He's a kid. Um, so the day, two days before Halloween, Mary Frances is born. And then on January 20th, 1979, Mary Frances is rushed to the hospital. Um, she is saved through, they, they called it aborted SIDS. So I guess they might've thought she was going I I guess I don't know SIDS well enough. I thought SID was just, like, unexpected. Like, you found your child dead. Not so much like you... Right? Or maybe I don't know. Maybe I should have researched SIDS better. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I'll do that for the next one. Um, But apparently they called it aborted SIDS. They were able to save her from dying. Um, the ER was across the street from the Tinning's apartment at the time, and Mary Beth had said Fr- Mary Frances had had a seizure. Say, so, okay, so they saved, they saved Mary Beth, Mary Frances, the many Marys, Mary Frances, the baby. On February twentieth, nineteen seventy nine, exactly one month to the day, one month to the day. Mary Frances is rushed into the hospital in full cardiac arrest. She had irreversible brain damage and ended up on life support. Two days later, Mary Frances dies after she's taken off of life support. Okay. On November 19th, 1979, um, Jonathan, the eighth tinning child, is born. And on March 24th, 1980, Jonathan had died after being kept on life support for four weeks for causes unknown. Sometime near the end of February 1981, Michael falls down the stairs and hits his head. On March 1st, Mary Beth takes him to the hospital, and um, he was fine. Like, they checked him for head injuries and all that, and he was okay. And on March 2nd, the very next day, Mary Beth takes Michael to the hospital again when he won't wake up and he dies. Um, since Michael wasn't actually of tinning birth, because he was the adopted son which there's a lot to keep straight here. So Michael was the adopted son. Um, Because he wasn't, like, their child by birth, the idea of the, quote, tinning curse gets thrown out the window. So apparently people in this town just thought that family had some weird genetic disorder where they, like, couldn't keep children alive. You know, which... I, I feel like somebody certainly should have investigated this, at least for some suspicion before this point, Right? Or, I'm just assuming, obviously, you're not listening, because this is being recorded while I'm talking about it. (laughs) We're not in conversation. But I'm just going to assume you agree with me, so, welcome. Um, 
But no, they don't. Nobody looks into it. Nobody gets suspicious. Everybody's like, oh, that's so sad for the Tinning family, blah, blah, blah. So after Michael's death, um, the Tinnings move back to Dwaynesburg for 11 months. They live with Joe's parents. Mary Beth works odd jobs, eventually volunteering as an ambulance driver. In 1982, the couple buys a trailer, and it burns to the ground shortly after the purchase. Several people suspect Mary Beth did it. In 1983, Mary Beth and Joe moved back to Schenectady, and by summer of 84, she quit volunteering as an ambulance driver after someone found a stolen first aid kit containing materials that were from the ambulance company hospital she worked for. The stolen bag had been found near the tending home. Once again, nobody investigates Mary Beth tending. On August 22nd, 1985, Tammy Lynn, Mary Beth's ninth and final child, was born. On December 20th, Tammy Lynn died from being smothered. Later that day, the family was visited by the city's social service rep and police. It was all in regards of the death of Tammy Lynn. So this is where the episode of autopsy comes in um, with the death of Tammy Lynn. Uh, So apparently the ninth child was the final straw, and they're like, we need to investigate this broad. Because you haven't, and you haven't yet. Um, so the causes of death in all nine children were all over the place. Um, natural, undetermined, or SIDS. After Tammy Lynn's death, the uh, medical examiner did six more autopsies on the Tenning's children. I do not know which ones they autopsied. Um, they didn't show any signs of abuse, though... After Tammy Lynn's death, there was a ton of suspicion thrown on Mary Beth, which there hadn't before now at all. (laughs) All right. Um, So the couple was interviewed, and in that interview, Mary Beth signed a document confessing to the murdering of Tammy Lynn, Timothy, and Nathan, but then said she hadn't killed the children, and she was arrested and charged with the murder of Tammy Lynn. So originally, the medical examiner thought Tammy Lynn's death could have been from SIDS, but later ruled the death a smothering. Um, so the conclusion led to all the children's death being suspicious. Jennifer's death was not suspicious because it had occurred um, at the hospital under doctor's care, and I would agree with that. I don't believe that Mary Beth killed Jennifer. Um, but I do have a theory about kind of that incident inciting the rest of it, which we'll get to in a second. So... Mary Beth was arrested and held on a $100,000 bail, which she made, impressive, and spent time at home before her trial. The trial started on June 22, 1987. Uh, the prosecution brought out the family's pediatrician, who said that they had recommended a monitor to track Tamulin's heart rate and breathing, you know, based on the fact that eight other children had died in this home. Um, and uh, Mary Beth had refused the monitor. She didn't want it. So that was huge for the prosecution, you know, because the pediatrician had told them, listen, I think this is suspicious. You should have if and if you genuinely weren't hurting your own children, you would be grateful and like willing to have that. Right. So you could keep another tragedy from happening. That's the part that I think is weird. Um, and the part where I definitely thought like, okay, this whole thing has been super suspicious. And I obviously am cynical and was like. The mom's doing it because I've read enough books about Munchausen by proxy to know that like moms do that. So if you hadn't been suspicious up until now, like if you were giving Mary Beth Tinning the benefit of the doubt this entire time, which some of you may, and I didn't, but some of you may, at this point you would say, you know, as a mom, I mean, I'm not a mom, I'm like a pseudo stepmother to um, a 14 year old girl. 
So kind of a different scenario. But, like, if there was a chance that she could die because I'm not monitoring her heart rate or breathing, like, I'm going to monitor her heart rate and breathing. Like, that just seems like the maternal instinct is, like, oh, I've had so many kids pass away from these awful experiences. Like, I want to make, I want to keep this one safe. Like, number nine's the one I want to keep safe. And she didn't do that. So that, that in itself, I think, is enough to convince a jury, right? Like, if you were on the jury of this, like, you definitely, I would. I'd be like, well, she's probably guilty. Um, yes. So the trial lasted six weeks, and the jury deliberated for 23 hours before delivering a verdict. At 44, she was convicted of second-degree murder, one count. So she was only convicted of the murder of Tammy Lynn. She got second-degree murder and was acquitted of her charge of first-degree murder. Um, so they, and they made this quote that the first-degree murder would have been, quote, deliberately causing an infant's death, where the second-degree murder charge was more like, quote, um, depraved indifference to human life. So they, they went more along my opinions on the Casey Anthony case. I don't think Casey Anthony deliberately caused her infant's death, but I do think she was indifference, indifferent to her daughter's life. So we'll get to that when I cover my own blog on Casey Anthony. Because I spent two months researching that <laughs> and went down a lot of weird rabbit holes. So we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Months, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. I'm going to go down the line. We'll get there. So she was convicted of second degree murder. Sorry. It's really difficult for me to keep on track with these things. Um, so her sentence was 20 years to life, five years shorter than the maximum penalty. She was imprisoned at the Hill, Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women. So she tried to appeal her conviction, saying her confession was not voluntarily given, but her request was denied in 1988. In March 2007, she attempted parole for the first time, saying that during her parole board meeting, um, or saying during her parole board meeting, quote, I have to be honest, and the only thing that I can tell you is that I know my daughter's dead. I live with that every day. I have no recollection, and I can't believe that I harmed her. I can't say more than that. Her parole was denied. In 2009, she tried again for parole, saying, quote, I was going through bad times. Her parole was denied, saying her remorse was superficial at best. In 2011, her third attempt for parole was made. Um, she was 68 years old now, and Mary Beth had this to say. After the deaths of my other children, I just lost it. I became a damaged, worthless piece of a person when my daughter was young. In my state of mind at the time, I just believed that she was going to die also, so I just did it. Her parole was denied again, again for lack of remorse. In 2013, she tried again, and her persistence here is just impressive. She said in 2013, I just... I can't remember. I mean, I know I did it, but I can't tell you why. There is no reason. So the parole board this time responded with, quote, This was an innocent, vulnerable victim who was entrusted in your care as her mother, and you viciously violated that trust, causing a senseless loss of this young life. So her parole was rejected, if you didn't gather it from that sentence. So she tried for parole again in 2015, and was denied again, stating that she didn't demonstrate remorse for taking her child's life. For the sixth time, she tried in 2017. Um, the parole board denied her request, but lessened the time before her next attempt, so she was allowed to attempt again in 18 months instead of 24 months. On August 21st, 2018, 
Mary Beth Tinning was released on parole. She had served 31 years of her 20-to-life sentence, and her husband, Joe, was there for her release. He maintained his belief in her innocence the whole time. As a part of her release, she will remain under parole for the rest of her life, and she, yeah, under her release, she remained under parole for the rest of her life. She has a curfew and is expected to attend domestic violence counseling. So it has been much debated if Mary Beth suffers from Munchausen by proxy. Um, some argue that she has it, while it's unclear if she's ever been officially diagnosed. So, this is a direct quote from the Merck Manual um, professional version. Um, it gives, like, the definition of Munchausen syndrome by proxy as a fact- infectious disorder imposed on, on another people. You, whoa, I just felt like I was reading Charlie's speech from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Let me try that one more time. Previously, this disorder was known as factitious disorder by proxy or Munchausen syndrome by proxy. In factitious disorder, imposed on other people, usually caregivers such as the parent intentionally produce or falsify physical or psychological symptoms or signs in another person in their care rather than themselves. The caregiver falsifies history and may injure the child with drugs or other um, agents or add blood or bacterial contaminants to urine specimens to simulate disease. Um, The caregiver seeks medical care for the child and appears to be deeply concerned and protective. The child typically has a history of frequent hospitalizations, usually for a variety of nonspecific symptoms, but no firm diagnosis. Victimized children may be seriously ill and sometimes die. They need to fact check their thing that that spelling that grammar is awful merc manual professional version so okay so munchausen my proxy i'm sure everybody's heard of it before it's basically when a caregiver hurts their child to get attention for themselves um jillian flynn wrote a really good book on it but i can't remember if it's dark places or sharp objects it's one of them Um, the mom basically has munchausen my proxy she's kind of an exaggerated version of what that may be so i believe this as being decently believable. Um, Whether she has it to the full extent or whatever, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not a psychiatrist. I cannot diagnose people. Um, But if you look at the timeline of events here, it's possible, in my opinion, that her disorder or whatever's going on with Mary Beth may have gathered speed with the death of her daughter, um, Jennifer, the Tinning's third child. So, I mean, if you think about Mary Beth's social, or not social, um, mental state at the time, like, she had a really rough childhood where she didn't feel like she got enough attention. She was jealous of her brother for getting attention. And all of it, so I think all of a sudden, she's really, really lonely. She she has this daughter, Jennifer, who who actually passes away from something terrible that she couldn't, you know, prevent from happening. Imagine you know, her family swarming around her saying, oh, I'm so sorry for the you know, for the death of Jennifer, like, she probably got roses and flowers and cards and, you know, like, I think maybe she didn't realize something like that could give her that much attention, and for the first time in her life, she felt loved, you know, and that's, like, my mindset of, I can just imagine this being the case if you're super lonely and you have this thing where the the community kind of flocks to you and say, oh, you know, I'm so sorry for the, for your loss, And then, you know, over time, that sadness and kind of empathy ebbs away. So she has to, you know, hurt another one of her children to get that same feeling again. It's almost like she got addicted to the attention she got 
when her when Jennifer passed away. That's my theory. That's not proven anywhere. That's just my idea. I just think she had to keep hurting her children to keep getting that love, to get to keep getting that high. But like I said, purely speculation. Um so she's out and living her life. Her birthday is tomorrow, so that's fun. Um I yeah. I'm going to go take a nap or something. I just feel <laughs> This took a lot of energy out of me for some reason. So, um I hope you have a great True Crime Tuesday and I don't even know what day it is anymore or what's coming up or what's happening. <laughs> it's all blurring together. I need a mental health day. There is no True Crime Tuesday next week, I don't think. Is there? I'm looking at my schedule. No, thank goodness. Okay. <laughs> I won't see you next week for True Crime Tuesday. I'll probably take a bubble bath that week and relax for one day. One scheduled day of taking it easy. Um, but with all that being said, I hope you have a good week. I hope you live your best life and enjoy this kind of fallish weather that we get to have. And I'll see you soon.